What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Thomas. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. So we have my friend, Ben's friend, Thomas Frank here. He's staying with us today. He's joining us for the podcast. And because of him, I should let you all know that the video quality is going to surge next week. He talked oh, yeah. us, in, he talked oh, us yes. into a, the, largest, <laughs> the largest equipment purchase we've ever made. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. We're, gonna, yeah. we're about to look like documentary quality out here. So Thomas is a, a productivity guy, tech uh, wizard. And he sold us Maybe. some Sony, apparently Sony employee. Yeah. <laughs> sold us $5,000 worth The thing is Sony I stuff. do not shoot on Sony. Yeah. All Canon. But you guys wanted uh, to go long, so. We're going, we're doing it. Yeah. Thomas, Charlie and I are an 80-20 guys through and through. Thomas is a 100-100 guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he likes to do everything he can Natural to make maximizer. it as good as physically possible. Mm-hmm. So, all right, should we hop in? Do your thing. I, I had a question. So for people who don't know you, Thomas, uh, I guess give yourself a little introduction. And also, this is something, I, as we were thinking about the podcast, I realized I don't know. Why did you start your YouTube channel? And how long ago was that? And how long did it take before you were actually full-time on it? Okay, so it's like four questions. Yes. Hi, I'm Thomas. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so what was the first question? Who am I? <laughs> who <laughs> are just you? Give, give a little thing about yourself so people know who don't know who you are. So yeah, I mean, context. at this point... My name is Thomas Frank. I'm 30 years old and I make videos and blog posts and I guess I did do podcast episodes and I kind of focus on how to help people become more productive and more capable. Uh, like you said, I'm a 100, 100 person. I like to figure out the best way to do everything. So just, I don't know, the nerd in me. And typically what I focus on is digital productivity, organization, uh, habits, things like that. Yeah. I got my start doing content on how to become a better college student and get better grades because I was in college when I started my blog. So this was 2010. Uh, great recession, all that had happened. My dad got laid off. I'm like, okay, the light, like world is going to be as the most competitive thing ever. I have to go to college. I have to get all A's. I have to do every single club. Otherwise I will never get a job. That was mm. what was in my brain as a high school student. So I read every single college prep book that my library had, went to college and then even got a job giving like campus tours and answering questions. So I kind of like had pre-selected myself to become an advice blogger. Got it. <laughs> nice. And I was reading some other ones like, you know, Lifehacker, things like that. There was one called Hack College. And at the end of my freshman year, they had come up with this uh, application because they were kicking their founders out. Like our founders are graduating. They're not students anymore. They can't write for us. So we need new students and new blood. 
And I applied and uh, promptly got rejected. <laughs> so, nice. but I had written this post for them that they weren't going to publish now. And I'm like, well, I don't want this to go to waste. So I'm just going to make my own website. Wow. And uh, yeah. Do you ever regret that uh, you own 100% of the <laughs> revenue you create instead of having oh, given it all to those so guys re- instead? You know what? I often think like how amazing would my life be if I had just written for them for four years and then been given the And then been fired. <sighs> would have been so great. That's a good lesson. Yeah, dude. They, at one point they sold the site. This was like, I don't know, 2015 or something. And then the URL has changed and it's like, it's basically history. Yeah. So, so when you first published that, did you think you were going to write more? Were you just like, ah, if this gets good reception, I'll write more? Like, yeah, I thought I was going to write more. Yeah. I had a blog already. It was just like a, almost a journal. And I had been building websites since I was 12 years old. Did you so, ever have imposter syndrome or a fear that like, why could, why should I write this? I'm a freshman. No, no. Interesting. Cause that's something that's a lot superpower. of people struggle with. If I have a superpower, it's no imposter syndrome because I understand that the person I was a week ago is less capable than the person I am now. So me now can teach me a week ago something new. That's the same frame that I had when I was doing it, which is people say like you're a charisma expert. And I, I don't hope I've never used those words. <laughs> that's that's never been my uh, perspective on myself. It was just that yeah. I know more than I used to. And there are people that are like me a week mm-hmm. ago, a year ago, three years ago. And so I don't need to be the greatest in the world to have something valuable to say, sell, talk about, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think that I have the same kind of mindset on it. I never describe myself as a productivity expert. I will be over the moon if other people use that term. You know, I'm never going to correct them, but if <laughs> I describe myself as I'm a productivity nerd or I'm just like passionate about Notion or whatever yeah. it is. I'm not an expert. I just like to learn. I think honestly, we might have put it on a react video. I think one, our editor or our ops manager might've titled you charisma, charisma expert, expert reacts. Yeah. So we might, as that's the funny, that video, you too. may not have ever called yourself that, but charisma on command has I called tacitly you that. signed off on it. <laughs> I am in fact a charisma expert. I now, accept, I accept. That's the mantle. That's the mantle you accept to do react videos. Yeah. So when did you know that you were going to go full time on this? When did you go, you know what? I'm not going to get another job. I'm not going to start another business. This is, I'm all in on this. It was definitely one of those boiling frog kind of situations. Okay. There was never like a, okay, it's time to quit my job and take the plunge because, so I I went into college knowing in quotes for the listeners, what I wanted to do. I had my major picked out before I even started my first classes. And I was like, I'm going to be the dude like tank in the matrix who has all the computer screens. (laughs) I'm going to be running the whole network for some giant corporation someday. And I got my first internship after my junior year basically doing that and realized, oh, wait, this is like not a cool spaceship that I'm going to sit in. It's, it's a gray cubicle. Yeah. And yeah. I basically have to just like go through three different bosses before I can do anything. And it's super boring. And the other thing I realized, and this is why I tell people they need to go get work experience as soon as possible is there's like aspects to work that you would never understand. You don't like until you get into it and try it. So you, you ask people what they want to do for a living and they'll, they'll think of a job. Like I want to be an IT manager or I want to be a YouTuber uh, what I think is more important is what, what is the kind of work you want to do? Do you want to work with people? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be creative? Do you want to build new things? Or do you want to maintain something and basically keep it running and keep it singing? I learned that I hate maintaining things mm-hmm. and I love building new things. So that Same internship boat. taught me I feel that. That. Mm-hmm. that internship taught me, okay, no, you can't work in like at least not in infrastructural IT because that's all maintaining crap. Uh, you could get into systems building if you wanted to, but I had started blogging around the same time and I realized I like to write mm-hmm. and I might want to just try this out. Yeah. So it was sort of a, like a, a progression. Can I get a blog that gets traffic? Okay. Can I get a side income? And then 
at some point in my senior year, the goal was, can I pay off my student loans before I graduate with this blog? Before you graduated? Yeah. Did you? I didn't have like six figure student debt. It was 15K. So, you know, not crazy, but I did pay off my student wow. loans like six months before graduation. Nice. Just for you, man. I paid mine off after I turned 30. Did you? And that was, that was fast. You know what I mean? Like that was faster than anticipated. I, I went on a 10 year payback plan and it gutted me every month. It was $1,100 a month. Mm-hmm. I was living in a nine person Victorian home in the basement. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. And, uh, a quarter or more of every paycheck was just straight to student loans. Yeah. And the plan was 10 years, and luckily Chris Moncommand did well enough that I didn't like eight. Just kill it. <laughs> yep. Something. I was, please go away. Haunted me, man. Those things were awful. My biggest expense on any ah. given month, every single month. It's weird because I have debt now, and it's like I have a mortgage, whatever. Can I ask you? Sorry, yeah. to, it's topical. Uh, how do you feel about student loan forgiveness? Uh, forgiveness? Forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness. So, for context, I took a political affiliation test yeah. in high school, and... I think it like sorted me into Democrat, but I, every single question I'm like, well, I could see one way to go this way, but there's another way to go this way. Like I can't come up with a strong opinion. So what I will say is my strongest opinion is I am not well-versed enough in the macro and microeconomic details to give a really well-informed opinion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I will say from a gut perspective though, is I want life for my children, if I ever have them or the younger generation to be better than my life is today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a gut perspective, can we afford to forgive that debt and provide free education or like fast forward your head 50 years from now? Would you like everyone to get the amount of education they want for free? If your answer is yes, then you should at least be a soft yes on forgiving student debt. Mm. Well, they're actually not the same thing though, right? Because my impression is that forgiving student debt doesn't stop new student debt from cropping up. Right. And it also doesn't help people who became carpenters to avoid student debt. Yeah. And it's like, so there's a lot of different angles to the question too. You have to ask the question like, okay, after we forgive this, do we continue to let predatory lending happen? Exactly. Do we continue to let these overpriced universities have these programs? Do we continue to say, hey, you're 18, make this gigantic business decision to put yourself six figures in debt to get an English degree? Yeah, I, my personal you know? bias is that, that that is a lazy way to attribute, uh, to redistribute wealth. And I think it's probably mm-hmm. not the best way to help people. Because you exclude anyone who opted out of college because they couldn't afford it. And you also exclude anyone who isn't a student yet because they're 16, but they're going to be. Yep. <laughs> so I think there's probably a better rule that makes systemic change instead of just helping people who currently have student debt. Yeah. But So I'll say like my, my main answer on this is I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Totally. The same thing is like I launched a product. It's in beta. And I had somebody email me. They're like, hey, I live in a different country. You know, do you have some sort of like pricing scheme for different countries? Mm-hmm. And partly I'm like, well, that sounds... That sounds good on one angle, but then on the other angle, like this person who probably in this state who doesn't have any money. Yeah. 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 would be like, okay, so what do I need to do? Move to that country to mm-hmm. get the discount pricing? Yeah. So I don't know the way to solve these problems. Yeah. Only do tough. only do it in foreign languages. And then the option mm-hmm. is learn the foreign language or <laughs> pay full price. So if you want to get a VPN <laughs> yeah. and learn how to speak Mandarin, you get the Chinese prices. <laughs> yeah. I need to see if I should do this. I guess I'm putting it on the podcast now. Um, what I would love to do is like what I sell can be built. So what if I just put out like a five hour tutorial? It's like, here you go, you know, pay nothing except for your time. Yeah. If you don't have the option to pay money. I like that because I feel like in education, anytime you're paying money, you're just paying for time savings. You're paying for somebody who can sequence the information correctly and steer you clear of mistakes. Mm. Yeah. That's a, Otherwise that's like all the information's take. out there. Unless it's like, hey, I need you to do supervised dissections of a cadaver or something like, okay, then 
there's a material cost. You could do that on your own. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take I, time. I mean, you got to go in the 1800s your local the cemeteries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think uh, well, we've talked about the specifics of this, but that's a, really what a lot of YouTube channels that have a course are. It's mm-hmm. like, here's, look, 99% of the stuff, and I say this about our channel all the time, is like, there's... Uh, there are things in Charisma University that I haven't talked about the channel. And I feel defensive about them to some degree because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. this is my secret sauce. <laughs> this but is, I must save this. I've shifted my my mindset to uh, sharing more of it because mm-hmm. I believe the value of Charisma University is actually not in the the necessarily how much secret or hidden information is there, but the sequencing of it. The yes. action orientation of it, the access to a coach. And so it's like, well, I don't have to be so defensive about what I put on YouTube. I can put much more of it on YouTube because it, there's it's too hard to go through to yeah. a degree. It's, and it's hard to uh, take all of this and implement and know where to start. Mm-hmm. And that's what a course can be good for so that the information doesn't need to be hidden in that exact way. Yeah. So I, I've, I've moved more in that direction, though. There's probably one or two sacred cows that I'm like, Never. <laughs> it's the good stuff. But what's funny is like anybody who goes in it could easily just write a blog post and it's, yeah. it's, there's, no, there's no trapping information. So I'm going through a course that my lifting coaches company put together. Um, it's called like the Barbell Principles Academy, I believe, through Barbell Logic. And there's a certification they offer. Mm-hmm. And what my coach was telling me is like with a certification, none of that information can be proprietary. So like if we're talking about biomechanics or um, anatomy or whatever it is, we aren't going to come up with some term that you can only learn through taking our course. Mm. You can go learn it by reading a book at the library and theoretically pass that exam and get the certification because we can't gatekeep the information required to do a job. And I guess, you know, in this industry, like you don't need a certification to do a job, though you do often need it to get a job at a gym. Why would anybody get certified? I'm just curious. So So in the fitness industry, you do need a certification to work at certain gyms, like if you want to be a CrossFit trainer. Got it. So it's, it's basically CrossFit like their, it's, that's their outsourced HR thing, which is like, are you good enough to teach? Do you have the certification? You've done the, the job of yeah, yeah. this person. Yeah, at least for the gyms. Mm-hmm. And then like there's definitely prestige elements to it. Mm-hmm. Some people in the evidence-based community will get a certification because that allows them to publish in certain journals. Like there's all sorts of different reasons and incentives people have for it. But at the end of the day, it's signaling value. Mm. You know, it's basically just a badge that says, I know what I'm talking about. It's a college degree. It's the same <laughs> thing as a college degree. <laughs> Certifications, diplomas, college degrees, like most of what you're getting there is the signaling, signaling value. What is your take on that? So I have a perhaps overly dismissive take of certification programs. And in fact, like I, uh, I look down on them. I spit in their general direction. Like, do you have, <laughs> do you have a take on uh, certifications value or lack thereof? Uh, again, my brain goes in a nuanced direction. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people going, you would spend $90,000 on a college program, but you could spend $200 on my online course. And it's like, okay, you learn some marketing tricks. And then you get in there and the material is just absolutely crap. So a lot of people also use- Also true of college degrees. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is somewhat true. Uh, you know, I'll say like, I went to Iowa State University, tuition's like, it was like four grand a semester. You know, it's not crazy. And the quality of the education was quite high, mm-hmm. especially compared to some online courses I've seen where it's like, okay, you really put in the bare minimum effort. I think it, a, a lot of it depends on degree, at least well, in my well, opinion. I actually, let's, let's, I want to ask you, because I'm curious how you feel about this. So you had a very low in-state tuition, which was four grand a year. Yes. Do you think if you spent $16,000 and four years that you, on a variety of online courses that you couldn't provide a close to or similar experience? I think I could have gotten the same education personally for free, but that's, it's like about the type of person, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, we could probably create a two axis graph here on the value of college. It's like, okay, how much are you 
the autodidactic person who's going to go out and cobble the information together and build freaking spreadsheets and like and figure out how to sequence practice and all that kind of stuff. That's one direction. Mm -hmm. And then what is the economic value and likelihood of getting a high paying job for the degree you've picked? Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you kind of need to go to school. Sure. If you want to be an author or you want to be a YouTuber, do you need to go to school? They'll certainly offer you a program, but I think the availability of resources and the barrier to entry is so much lower that it's harder to make a case there. What do you think? I did, I did was it well. I'll just say what I thought. I took business, and I think that with the exception of, like, Ben went to Wharton, which is the number one, I think, undergraduate business school in the country, yep. yeah. which operates as the outsourced HR for Blackstone and all these other private equity firms, and it's literally just, like, you need to go through this process for us to even look at you. I, I still think the education at Wharton is mediocre. I think yeah, for, yeah. for four years and 160 grand, yeah. I guaranteed you can beat it. Yes. The, the benefit is... You just well, get the good job. Afterwards. So this is where I feel yeah. broadly. It's more not comfortable. for the education. It's literally just because then Goldman Sachs takes you into their loving, abusive arms and pays <laughs> you several hundred grand. Well, so yeah, yeah. I, I did the one year business degree and I was expecting to learn all of these things. And I like, I left, I went in thinking there was a lot to learn about business. I left the program thinking business was dumb and there was nothing to learn. And then I started our business and I realized <laughs> there was so much to learn. <laughs> and, then you knew nothing. <laughs> and I knew nothing. Um, yeah. And so I do think that if you're out there and you're considering a business degree, consider it very, very uh, considerately. <laughs> we did a lot of you can also. I will say actually, as, as good as Wharton is at placing people, because it is a phenomenal place for placing people. We had a guy who went to the University of Wisconsin and was just sitting right next to me at Blackstone. How did he do that? How did I don't he know. do that? I got to ask him. Dude, that's, so that's he, what we need to add. He was the first person ever from that school to get hired by Blackstone, and he sat next to all the Ivy League kids and earned just as much and then went on to the best hedge fund and, like, is crushing it. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he networked there. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how often, actually. That would be a uh, good charisma on command yeah. thing for our audience. Yeah, he, he um, my impression is he basically networked his way into getting an interview. You don't I think th it's absolutely no nepotism. possible. Sorry, no nepotism, you don't think? No, 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 okay. no. I asked him, and uh, I only got the high-level part, because at the time, I wasn't, I didn't own Charisma on Command. So yeah. I was like, how'd you do this? He's like, I just, you know, networking and I talked to the right people and I went, well, I don't care. We're, <laughs> let's go talk, let's go eat lunch. You know what I mean? He's just a friend yeah. of mine. I wasn't yeah, yeah. trying to. So yeah, call him up. Interview yeah, yeah. him on this podcast, maybe. What were we saying though? Um, yesterday, Henry was asking me for book recommendations mm -hmm. and I mentioned like Ghost in the Wires is one of my favorite books. What is that? It's, the, it's written by Kevin Mitnick. He's like in the 80s and 90s, they called him like the world's most dangerous hacker. He's basically a guy who knows a little bit about hacking and from a technical perspective and the phone system knows a lot about social engineering. He's, a, he's the guy who can call someone up and just super convincingly lie and say, hey, I'm one of your coworkers. I forgot my password. Can you give me a password? Yeah. Like, that kind of thing, right? But so I listen to that book every night going to sleep just because I find it fascinating. And I have zero interest in doing any kind of like social engineering. But what it teaches me is, okay, if you can call somebody and get them to do something that they are really not supposed to do, because of job security or corporate policy or whatever, like that's the the, the highest degree of social engineering. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely possible that you could network your way into a high paying job that yeah, would yeah, normally yeah, only yeah, yeah, want yeah. an Ivy League degree. Oh, absolutely. You know? Oh, totally possible. Totally. I'm not saying it must be nepotism. I think that's a common. We, uh, I feel like this has uh, almost happened to me recently. So, I think it happens most in situations where you don't want to either appear dumb or like an outsider. And I feel that right now because I've just earned enough money to start investing. And so we got an email, like I did my first private investment with this psychedelic uh, company. And I just wired them money 
with no idea where it was going really. And cause I like didn't want to ask dumb questions. And upon realization, I was like, well, that was, mm. that was foolish. And then they hit us up again. And I was like this, I think this is crazy asking for uh, a copy of my passport, like a photo of my pass, dude, uh, my most recent utility bill, just like, Hey, can I steal your, your information? Somebody's trying to become you. And so <laughs> I officially, am just writing that money off in my head as, uh, the cost of <laughs> cost of learning investment. But I realized the thing that would have made me comply with that request is like not having Ben and not trying to look stupid in front of these people. Mm-hmm. And so instead I asked Ben, I was like, Hey, is this normal? But were I trying to like, if they were on the phone and I didn't want to accuse them of being manipulators i i could see myself starting to acquiesce in that direction yeah, yeah. And luckily ben was like no this is crazy this isn't normal i was like good that was my gut instinct why do you mm-hmm. need my passport yeah no one's uh, i've done private investments no one's ever asked me for that stuff so yeah that's ridiculous i'm gonna just not, just not. Give them, i mean i'm just gonna say hey so i mean you guys want to just send the money back or are <laughs> yeah, you yeah. cool without mm-hmm. the passport photo because i'm yeah. good either way yeah yeah <laughs> that's like a powerful tactic you know not wanting to look stupid or not wanting to shake up things mm-hmm. yeah yeah so like in the book, he'll talk about how uh, the, my favorite example is he wanted to prank his friend. So he called and said, hey, I'm from the IRS. We have a garnishment order for this guy. We need to garnish his wages. And they're like, well, we need proof. And he's like, we'll get you proof on Monday, but don't give him his pay till then. Otherwise, there's going to be problems. Oh. And so they altered his pay. No proof. Yeah. Wow. They don't want to shake up the system. Interesting. And so like not wanting to feel stupid, not wanting to ask dumb questions or insult somebody. Henry, could you grab that? Sorry. We've got a... This is how people enter our home. <laughs> Those are horrible. Sorry for the interruption, everybody, but we uh, we had a package delivery, which makes the dogs go insane. Also, my dog got sprayed by a skunk two days ago. That was horrible. Skunk smell, which you guys haven't realized, is not the worst smell, but is the like strongest, most pervasive smell, I think, on the face of the planet. It is in every nook and cranny of my house, despite the <laughs> fact that the dog didn't come inside, and it just happened outside of the home. So, avoid good, skunks. Good self-defense mechanism. Yeah, man, that it messed him up so good just destroyed him he doesn't care though he's happy well this is so this is a question i have i don't know if we can keep this in or cut it but uh you mentioned that you like to you're like i like to build things and start (laughs) things not maintain things you also said you started your business 11 years ago so those (laughs) those seem at odds to me like you're still doing productivity and college related stuff to a large degree there hasn't been a major pivot in 11 and 11 years is a really long time for yeah our business so how do you i guess explain that there have been minor pivots so I definitely struggle with burnout and getting bored with doing the same thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, do. And I'm always looking for, like, what's the new thing that keeps me interested in it? So I know other YouTubers who are absolute machines, and they can just lock in on a format that works well and do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, cool, all right, find the next interesting topic, but then keep the format. Mm-hmm. I find that very difficult to do. In fact, I can't really even edit my own videos anymore because for me, for it to be interesting, it's either going to be like a month-long crazy edit where I'm learning something new or I'm just like, I've done this a thousand times. I don't, I don't want to click this box again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, like I'm building the second channel right now, teaching the basics of notion and it's just totally different content. And it's also a totally new channel. So it's fun watching. If he bothers you, you can send him over. It's fun. Are you trying to get over? Come on, bud. Come on. It's fun. Just watching that new channel be built. Even though, even though the scale is, you know, so much less yeah. than the main channel. Well, also that makes me, that reminds me of something. You're so unmotivated by financial, the pursuit of financial gains, <laughs> which is interesting because you said the reason you got into this is you saw your dad get laid off and initially you were trying to 
get money to pay off your student loans. But you regularly, we'll talk about business and you'll be like, oh yeah, this and that. And I'll give you some advice. You're like, I'm so certain that that would make me a lot of money, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. So is that a learned thing? Do you, did you just have that in you? And once you got your student loans paid off, you stopped caring about money. Like how did you get there? Cause you're actually very good. I think at not chasing that shiny money object. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, all I know is I don't care about having a lot of money. I just care about what money can do for me. Mm -hmm. So I know what I want. I want to live a life where I can constantly learn and try new things uh, I have learned in the last year that I do not want to live way out in the suburbs. So that requires a bit more money. <laughs> yeah. Moving to a new house right now. But like, yeah, I don't, I'm not like, oh, I need $5 million because I need $5 million or whatever And you just it is. never, just never have. No, I don't really think so. Like I, I, you know, I want to make money. I'm not one of those people who's just like, I have zero ambition to make money. Like I do want to make money and I think about it more in terms of what does it enable me to do? And also does it make me feel more secure? I guess. Mm -hmm. So do you feel insecure about money? Yeah, I was going to Not really. No, but like if my bank account was down to like five grand, I'd be like, uh, I noticed I that as I, I've said this several times, as I've uh, earned more, I've felt more insecure because mm -hmm. I had what, whatever my own potential makeup is. And it's not horrible, but when I had nothing to lose, it was just like, I knew that I was lucky enough to have my rock bottom, which is really, really fortunate. It'd be like, move in with mom and dad, live there, don't starve to death, eat the food that they cook at night and just be socially uh, not real, yeah. <laughs> not real connected or happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but- You weren't going to starve to death. As Yes, and I was close to that. I was like, I was like hundreds of dollars away from that at various yeah, points yeah, yeah. in time. And I was just like- <laughs> If the IRS had hit you up and said, hey, you're $1,000 low on, on yeah, your yeah. tax income, right. you'd have to move on. It you'd would be a call yeah. to mom and dad, be like, let's coordinate. Yeah. Uh, and now that I'm farther from that, I noticed that I think about money more, which, which mm. I guess you're, you don't. So one thing I did notice is as I started to make more money, there was like this ratcheting level of, okay, if my, if my balance goes beneath this, now I'm going to be mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. worried. So I remember being in my apartment with my roommates, like early days of the blog, and I had $5,000. I'm like, okay, if it goes beneath $5,000, now I'm going to be worried. And then it was 10K and it was 20K. And now I'm like, all right, if our bank account balance goes beneath 50, like we're in trouble. But I also at the same time, like I've added a team to my life mm -hmm. and I'm more secure with myself than I am about the well-being of my team. So sure. like if it was just me and everything went to hell tomorrow, fine, I'll make it work. I'll mm -hmm. sell my house, I'll sell my stuff, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know I have skills that people are demanding. I could go probably sell a consulting session to a company and make the money I need tomorrow. But now that I have a team, it's like they and their family, yeah. like they need to keep mm -hmm. their bills paid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we socked away six months of everyone's pay. Mm -hmm. That's how I, when COVID hit, because we saw a guy, I won't, I won't say who, we saw a guy who claims he's a hundred millionaire or something. And his company had like two bad months and he laid off a massive amount of employees. Oh my gosh. And that just seemed so shitty because he didn't think to just return any of the alleged hundred million he's got sitting in the bank. He took it out of the business and he's like, this is all mine. Yeah. And now the business can't pay the employees. That's the employee's problem. That's the business problem. It's not mm -hmm. my problem. So we were like, all right, we're not doing that. So we just didn't take pay until we had six months worth of pay for all our employees. And so now it's like, nothing's going to happen. That's, that's a good that way to do bad. It. I don't think so. I don't yeah. stress about the employees because six months of runway. Yeah. I mean, that's a long, that's a long, if we don't that's make a, a single dollar for six months, we probably should evaluate with the team. Be like, yes. <laughs> hey, how come no one's making any money? <laughs> what are you guys up to? Yeah. I don't know how you guys think about this, but 
one thing that I'm always thinking about is how many income streams do we have? Really? So I, not I, necessarily the dollar so amount dude, this total. Is, but I want to talk about this because we have such different philosophies on business and money. So you okay. think of you think of multiple income streams is important to you. Yes. So my thing, this is me, 80-20, is like find one horse and ride it until it collapses and dies. <laughs> <laughs> and which is, uh, it's just an interesting approach. So why, why do you think of that? Because that, that gives you more cushion, that gives you more... Uh, I just think about like what are the dependencies of each income stream, and at the like at a certain point, you kind of come to realize, oh well, there's one huge giant dependency for all of them, and it's this company called Google. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, kind of everything is the lifeblood. Like traffic is the lifeblood of every income source, and Google is the oh yeah bringer of the traffic one way or the other. Once you become Trump and Parler, and Amazon so. literally won't give you the server space to host your website. <laughs> It's all over for us. Yeah. So, like everyone's like, oh, don't trust YouTube because then you don't own your list. You should capture emails so you own your list. Like, I guess that works till active campaign decides I yeah. don't own a list. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I guess we haven't done this in a while. We used to legit export our list as a CSV and save it oh, every really? three months. And I haven't done it in a while. Actually, I don't think I've done it since I moved to ConvertKit, so I should probably do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like we have an email list. So I guess even if Google traffic dried up overnight, YouTube traffic dried up overnight, we would have like... The people on the email list, we could build something. Until ConvertKit says that they don't like your political affiliation. <laughs> Until ConvertKit, yeah. So I don't know if they're going to do that. I'm pretty milk toast. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll be all right. <laughs> You'll be all right. What is your... Talking uh, about productivity. So so your goal when you started the channel was, you know, pay off student loans, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is your goal now just do things that I like and document, learn about stuff? What what keeps you going on the channel? Yeah. Um, it's a lot of that for my personal edification, I suppose. On my main channel, what I want to do is kind of what, I, I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier. Oh yeah, you talked about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think about like, all right, where was I three years ago, five years ago, like out of college, trying to figure things out. Can I make that easier for people? Can I give them resources? Mm -hmm. And I've never been the kind of person who's like, I want to like actually take somebody under my wing and teach them directly. I like to put out resources that sort of let people independently set their own path, but make it easier. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm trying to go with my main channel is like, all right, I'm trying to buy a house right now. I didn't know how to do that. There was a bunch of mistakes I could have made. Let me make a video on that. Let yeah. me make a video on how do you start investing without screwing up or accidentally wiring your passport <laughs> to some dude. Should you wire your passport? <laughs> That's the next video. Well, Thomas, <gasps> I do found you, it. Is it safe to assume that the way you invest is... ETFs, S and P five hundred, set it and forget it type investing because that's the you, that seems um, like your style. Or are you yeah? So like deep into NFTs and no, cryptos? Yeah, not in NFTs. If I said anything positive about NFTs, my fiance would hate me so much. <laughs> <laughs> she's an artist, so she's just like NFT people are gonna steal my art. And there was like some dude in her DMs like, hey, I'm doing an NFT project, and like she, I guess he showed her a <laughs> picture of her art in his Photoshop, and she uh. got really pissed. So what is her concern? Uh, that so her concern is that because she is not doing her own NFTs, that people will take her artwork, throw it into NFT format. I think it's yeah. It's I'm afraid people are going to steal my art, and then I think it is a. I don't think she understands the technical details of it, but there's the talking point that NFTs are super bad for the environment, which if you dig into the uh, the details of it, like it is sort of true. The Ethereum gas they take up is like way more than any standard. ETH transaction. So there is an issue there, but like for me, that seems like a solvable thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you could get on a blockchain that isn't proof of work based. Uh, does that make NFTs worth anything? That's another question yeah, yeah. <laughs> for another day. But uh, for investing, my thought is swing for the fences on stuff I have control over and then 
be pretty safe on the other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I'm absolutely like Vanguard ETFs all day long. <laughs> John Bogle. Uh, max out my IRA. <laughs> uh, do like all the tricks to make my IRA even more max outable. And then like, you know, building my own businesses or yeah, yeah. I invested in standard, my agency. So I partly own that now. Like that's a big swing for this ventures bet. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But I have control over that. Like I can put my own sweat and tears and ideas into it and make it better. Yeah, I feel that with the exception of the shit coins that I bought during the craze. I do like to try to, uh, the more, if I can uh, find a person. By the way, I put like, like $500 into that. It was, it was like, you were like, thousand. Oh. no, I, it was, it was not a serious, it was a. How do you uh, think we got this house? No, it was like a uh, going to Las Vegas and you walk past the roulette table and everybody's screaming and having fun. You're like, all right, fine. I'm going to. Oh, did it's, you? It's I like didn't. huge FOMO. Yeah. Right. Not even FOMO, just, just like. Just want to pretend that I'm intelligent when mm. this goes up ten thousand percent, or if it goes though. to zero, it's it's. Like, do fun. you feel this? If I invest in a, a single stock that is super hyped and going up, I can't stop thinking about it. Really? And I'll just check it, check it. Like, yeah, I I buy one individual stock, mm. Nintendo, because I like the stock. Oh, I'm really good at forgetting so, it, and I'll forget about that one. Like, I think I am vaguely aware that they're down right now, but I don't care. I don't know what my cost basis was. You know, but I, I remember when the Bitcoin craze came out, I was like, ooh, what companies are getting into blockchain? Overstock.com is, let me just put some money in there. <laughs> and I'm on my phone every day. Like, it went up a dime or went down five cents. I should oh, sell now. What I'm, so. what I'm learning from this conversation is everybody just has these weird emotional triggers when it comes to, I'm sure everything, but money in particular. And like one of mine is not, like once it's out of my bank account and into the hands of these people, if they literally stole that money from me that I sent them, I wouldn't lose a wink. I would. I would barely bring it up in conversation. Yeah, because yeah. like it's I'm just, just praying gone. that money that allegedly got invested in SpaceX actually got invested in SpaceX. See, <laughs> That's even that, the only one. Even that, I'm going probably not. And <laughs> I'm so, just hoping. Yeah. yeah, I think I would feel the same if I was in your situation. Because like with I don't know, you buy a stock on Robinhood, you are innately aware that at any moment you could sell it or you could buy more. Like there's always oh, yeah, another like option private, there. I like private investments like that. I gave my private equity for yeah. money however many years ago that was nine years ago and i i couldn't get it back even if i wanted to even mm-hmm. if i was defaulting on a mortgage i can't it's just you, you gone until i get like, it back it's, it's out best, of my hands it's the best thing ever yep that's the thing like, i honestly feel that is better for my mental health yeah helman and friedman if anyone's watching please take more of my money <laughs> every time i try to invest with them they're just like nah we're good mm-hmm. but this is this is kind of a, a hard segue but it, it is reminiscent i want to talk about it on the podcast because we discussed it last night uh Things you control, that's my segue, being the business, and we had a little... Oh, I had this on my list of things to talk about. Do you want to... We had no, a little... Go for it. We had a little kerfluffle uh, yesterday. Long story short, and this is not... Uh, I've mentioned that we worked with somebody who's like a podcast viewer, not him. We worked with somebody to do some copywriting, um, and the offer was, I'll write this copy for your sales page, and copy, for those of you who don't know, is words on a sales page. Um, for free, and in exchange, you'll run a split test. If it wins, we'll share in the the upside that that has generated for it you. sounds great in theory sounds great in theory and it's proven to not be for a number of reasons which i will briefly describe we got the first version of this back after this person had put time obviously into making mm-hmm. it and setting it up and i read it in my opinion it was i mean you said the word incel bait and it was adjacent to that it was like don't stand by while lesser people get the things that you deserve and mm-hmm. like you know don't let that happen while you're in the corner resentful and I was just like, I hate this. I I, I do I it's don't not, like the way this is it's written. It's not who we think Charisma on Command viewers are, and it's yes. not who we made the course for. Right. Yes. And in addition to that, there was, I think, you know, 
guesses as to like uh, piecing together elements of the story that I had talked about, like how I did my thing, but trying to write it in a way that was engaging. So taking guesses as to what exactly in that particular moment motivated me and like messing the timeline up. So some of it in a way that is understandable, but also like check with me was not factually true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm going through the page and we, we left a bunch of things on it said, hey, change this, change this, change this at a high level. Uh, we moved, there was some miscommunication in the shuffle, and now this individual is upset with you because you haven't run the test fast enough because you were leading this. Yep. Uh, and we were kind of like frustrated with the quality of this page. So it's like, it's value lost in this interaction. Everybody sure. has had the pleasure of feeling negative emotions yes. in this process. Yes. And what Ben and I were doing, which you should have checked us on, which was we felt that like our primary obligation was to the word that we gave to this person, which is we said, hey, if you write this page, we will then split test it. And then the guy sent us the page that mm-hmm. he did put so effort he, into so and his team put effort into yeah. it and we didn't like it. And if I had just paid him 10 grand to write that, I would have gone, okay, cool, I'm going to kill this. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would have said, my deal was I gave you 10 grand, here's 10 grand, you gave me a page, I don't like it, so I kill it. But instead it was, you'll do this for free and we'll run it. So I, I felt obligated to instead try to make the page something that we could run mm-hmm. because I, I thought that it would be breaking my word to not run this page even though I don't like it. And then last right. night you had a really interesting point, which was that there's another moral obligation as well, which is to uh, not give that frame to people mm-hmm. who uh, like I'll you. Let, I'll let you say it. You, you have your own take on it. So you, Yeah. So, I mean, we can get into a few things here, but I've been the personal life advice space for a very long time. You guys are in it, whether you want to brand your way that yourselves that way or not. Mm-hmm. I feel that there is a responsibility people like us have to ensure there's a moral backing to what we say. Because I've seen a ton of people I've had conversations with people I won't name who are just like, if they fall victim to this, it's their fault, mm. you know, or like, yeah, I know it's a scam, but it, you know, if they fall victim, whatever, like they were stupid, that's on them. I don't think so. And I think this makes me a little bit of like an anti-libertarian because I feel like it's, it's erring towards, we need a set policy that helps people, uh, you know, avoid the worst of themselves. Yeah. But I realize there's a kid out there who's 17 years old because I was a 17-year-old impressionable kid one time. And I feel lucky that the people who I took advice from and looked up to had my best interest in mind or, you know, weren't willing to say shitty things. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to think about that. It's why I don't talk about, like, nootropic drugs on my channel. Because if I say anything other than this stuff is not researched, don't do it, there's going to be somebody who's like, oh, Tom is sort of interested in them that means they're all good i'm gonna just go take them all Mm -hmm. you know yeah so that's why i don't talk about stuff like that in the channel and i guess that permeates every decision i make is this good for the audience Mm -hmm. so when you guys told me about this i'm like i do think it was probably a mistake to make these promises up front Mm -hmm. like especially the there's no caveat on i'll run this only if it's good or only if we stand behind it but ultimately at the end of the day like you're between a rock and a hard place, but the worst thing to do is to put something you don't believe in, you don't stand behind in front of your audience and allow that to maybe influence them. Yeah, no, no. And what, what we ended up doing is putting a lot of work into editing it. And what mm-hmm. you were saying is you would have just killed it, which I think is a, a reasonable alternative. Mm-hmm. I think so. Well, what you're saying is that implicit, and so this is the way I was thinking, is like every contract has covert clauses, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I will not, I don't know, 
use this information with your address to break in your house and hold you ransom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's not stated in most contracts, but it's, yeah. it's implied. And so what you were saying is like, look, implied in any contract where anyone comes to work for my business is that you will do right by my fans and customers. And that means you will not lie. You will X, Y, you know, and I think also that you'll provide uh, quality. And what we sort of got sucked into is this predictably irrational Dan Ariely free thing. We're like, oh, someone will do this for free mm -hmm. and didn't take into account that that puts us on the hook to uh, fix copy that isn't uh, honest or doesn't match the vibe that we wanted to mm -hmm. do to, uh, you know, deal with this person, even if we don't feel like they're being, uh, what is the word? Civil yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, right. to, uh, it would like we, when we entered into this contract and you're saying like, no, 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 it's totally reasonable for there to be covert clauses in there, which are the ones that I sort of just said, they can't lie and, and these sorts of things. But in any event, yeah. what we're going to do is we've now spent between Ben and I, I don't know, at least five hours uh, going through this page, rewriting it in a way that I was like, I could stand behind this mm -hmm. now. Um, and we will do the split test because we said we would, but it was a re just really good lesson. So if you're out there, things that we learned, uh, free has a cost. I know this, I've learned this before. Why does it take me so long? Well, this, <laughs> this came through a friend was, the, yeah. was I think the reason. Cause yeah. we get hit up all the time for free. Hey, mm -hmm. can I write you for free? Can I for free? And we always it's say always no. Dope. Yeah. But this came but through this a friend. came through a friend. And so I, that just went through my defenses. I guess yeah. I didn't have that same skepticism. I'll yeah. tell you if you're in a business, another one, um, if a copywriter doesn't, especially if it's like a thing like doesn't uh, talk to customers or in my, I think it was, would be important to talk to me. Like, I don't think, I actually think people misunderstand copywriting and that's kind of what I came to last night. People think of copywriting as like, my job is to write persuasive words that make people buy a product. And I think right. if we ever do copywriting or train copywriters, like, no, your job is to be a customer success expert. Mm -hmm. And that's to be involved in the product and figure out what it takes to get this from an 8.7 star rating to a 9.5 star rating. Yep. And then to mention that those things now exist in the product <laughs> on the sales page. Yeah. It's to yeah. like redesign the product, add the pieces that are necessary, find out what's missing so that it's so awesome that all that you have to do is talk about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And of course, yes, you can tell stories and there's, you know, uh, ways of framing things that are more powerful while still being honest than other ways of framing things. So there are some copywriting tools that I'm not throwing out, but uh, having done this many times, I realized that like, that's how you have a winning sales page is you, you, you add to the product yep. <laughs> such that it's, that it works and, and sells more. So mm -hmm. um, anything else that you learned? Well, I mean, this is separate to, from the business thing, but something I took away from, from this was uh, the, the message this person wrote me was quite entitled, I thought. Mm -hmm. And it completely triggered me to the point where I uh, have a, gone from neutral slash positive to like very negative on this person. If anyone asked me if they should work with them, I would strongly suggest not to. And they actually could have accomplished the same thing if they just come in more humble or like more requesting instead of demanding. And so it was just a good, I mean, lesson for me, if I'm ever on the other end of trying to get someone to do something or do something faster is coming in like they owe you and being entitled about what they have to do mm -hmm. is so much less persuasive than coming in and explaining why you well, let's, want them to. Let's, let's make this concrete. Is, is I'm trying there, not to Well, is, too... is there nuance here? Okay, so what you're saying is like, hey, um, i just give you a general thing, not this particular one. Um, we, you know, have worked hard on this. Uh, could you please... Um, try and get it up it would mean a lot to me as like 
for X, Y, and Z reasons. Like, I understand that there's probably stuff going on, but if you could, yeah, it I did would this, be... Hypothetically, yeah, I did know. this for free and money's tight, and yeah, I know yeah. it's not your top mm-hmm. priority by any means, but if it's possible to get it up by the end of the week, that would be amazing. And so charisma mm-hmm. question, is there nuance here? Because that, that position is coming in from a position of non-dominance. You're using a lot of, you know, if you could just using mm-hmm. some minimizing, hypothetical, uh, requesting language... I've talked in the past, and I just want to see if I can make a principle here. That's not always appropriate. There's people that overdo the, if you could please just. So I'm curious if there's like yeah. a framework that one can use to know whether or not they should go in. What would uh, be, a, what would be um, an example where you're better off coming in trying to be dominant? I think that there are people who habitually, I can do this from time to time, minimize their needs and requests. Mm-hmm. Could you just, you know, and, and, and for that reason, get walked over because yep. there's not an assertive line of like, can you stop that? What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I guess there's still a question there, which is, you know, hey, when you do this, it's upsetting. Can you stop that? As opposed to, there, I don't know exactly, but I, I, can, I have seen and can imagine times where it's a bit frustrating. Could you just, you know, where you make it so tiny, small that it just gets mm-hmm. ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know if there's a framework for one to decide, but I don't think it's always being a supplicative. No. Way. Well, I mean, so I, I'll just say, for instance, in this example, we can try to work through it together. Uh, this person has like no leverage. They're mm-hmm. not my boss. There is no mechanism with which they, if they were saying, if you don't get this up, I'm going to terminate the contract and you're not allowed to use it at all. Mm-hmm. That could be a stronger position. And you could still come in humbly like that. You say, Hey, totally get it. If this isn't a priority for you, if it's not, if it's not up by the end of the week, let's just kill it. Like I'll own the IP. You do this. You know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. form of adding real scarcity, mm-hmm. which isn't a demand and it's not entitled. It's just a, Here's how things are going to be, mm-hmm. which I think is different than coming in and just trying to say, hey, you, it felt a little bit like someone coming into a restaurant demanding that the menu be changed. And then when the chef says no, they're like, I'm the customer. You have to. It's like, you're, you're, you're yeah, kind of saying I, like, don't overstate don't, your position. I don't have saying. to. I'm the chef. You <laughs> yeah. can just leave. And yeah, so exactly. if versus if someone's saying, hey, I have a glute, I'm allergic to cheese and everything on your menu Could has you? cheese. Yeah, yeah. 
could you please change it? Otherwise I'm going to leave. And then mm-hmm. the chef's like, no, it's like, okay, I'm really going to take my money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, but either way, you don't have to be um, necessarily gruff about it. Okay. Yep. You know, it's just about, it's about stating your position and being willing yeah. to take action, being willing to leave, being saying, hey, I don't actually need, here, I mean, if you want to be a strong position, like you'd say you don't need the upside from this project no, and it's yeah, been yeah. a waste of your time yeah. and I, I, I've got it. I you're going to, you're going to leave and just take the sales page away. Or if we can get it up sooner, that would be my first choice if that's possible. I think but I don't want to be on the hook anymore. What you're correctly identifying is I think, and I don't know that in this particular case and many others, uh, that strong, Hey, you have to is to mask an inner feeling of vulnerability. Mm. And that does not come across well, because in this yeah. position, as you correctly identified, there is a vulnerability to their position, which is I've already done this work and you don't necessarily have to. And I actually don't have any levers. And even morally, there's there's not a lot of reasons that, that I can compel you to follow through if I did bad work here. Right. Um, so what you're saying is represent your position as it actually mm-hmm. is and it will go Yeah, and maybe you, maybe you vary it based on the person to person. But for for me, at least, it's just going to be way more effective to come in and say, hey, I'm, I'm stressed. I, I'm was expecting money to be coming in from this project already and it's not and I need the money. So mm-hmm. could you get it up? I'm like, oh yeah, shit, sorry. I didn't realize that things were tight. I'll get this up ASAP. Like that's going to be way more effective than possibly. I mean, I guess like that's appealing to your sense of goodness and decency. Yeah, yeah. yeah but well, isn't you really every providing any sort of business value to you for me to say, hey, I'm tight yeah, on But cash. it's also not, it's also, <laughs> just to be clear, it doesn't also, so. it doesn't provide any business value to just say, Hey, I got you this two weeks ago. You have to put oh, it up not by at end all. of day. It's like this is also not valued me. No, that just I mean pisses there is me off. Not really a good way for him to provide value at this point. So no, but I think what you can. I mean, I think what you can do is try to get a read on the person's yeah ethics or let's say their motiv- motivators. Mm-hmm. You know, and and try to hone in on what will be persuasive to them. So you're saying he yeah. got a bad read on you? <laughs> I don't know who that works for, but yeah, you got a bad yeah. read on me by thinking that. <laughs> acting like I'm your employee is the right. way to <laughs> get me to do something. Yeah. yeah. So I have um, three business lessons that I pulled from this. Okay. But one of them was the way you reacted to how he said that his tone. It's like his copy was full of this stuff. Like, yeah, get what people who are deserve. lesser oh, than you, Thomas, you, think you just get what I deserve. Oh, no. Look at how you reacted when he <laughs> acted that way. I deserve yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, dude, Thomas, you nailed it. You just so, said it. He wrote copy. And this is what always happens with copywriters. We had some guy, and again, not a bad dude, um, wrote, we had a, a dating thing, and he wrote it to himself. Yeah, this was great. I it actually like, really liked this guy as a person, mm-hmm. but he clearly had a lot of struggles with women, and the copy he wrote was very and Emblematic. Sad. Emblematic mm, of yeah. that. And so you nailed it. They write deserving copy, which is, I hate the word deserve. I, I think I took it out almost throughout the entire page, but the concept of, deserving something to me is so uh tenuous at best mm-hmm. but it was rife throughout this page and there yep. was a lot of it's not your faults which is classic copywriter and a lot of unjust worlds and you're like oh my god yeah, <laughs> that's like, what do you know that came through strongly <laughs> in this world actually yeah. that's a great brilliant what, brilliant takeaway <laughs> what, man what people what they write yeah that that represents what's going on in their head yeah that's sharp mm-hmm. sorry for shouting over you but you just freaked me out <laughs> go ahead uh, <laughs> by the way that shouldn't the, be the case a good copywriter like the our sales page uh to the extent that it's done well is because it doesn't represent ben altman at the time i interviewed mm-hmm. 30 people and then tried to yeah. try to represent them on the page so a good writer shouldn't do that but i do think yeah, yeah. it's funny enough it seems like this person's 
I mean, that's like the natural shortcut. If you don't go out and get mm-hmm. what your customer wants, then you're going to naturally lean on what you think you would want if you were mm-hmm. in a situation. Yeah, yeah, you just try to pretend you're that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what else you got? Uh, well, I mean, the fact that you guys took the recommendation from your friend mm-hmm. and then agreed to this deal without really any objection, that's just the power of testimonial right there. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Testimonials are the most powerful thing ever. We've mm-hmm. seen this, and I'll say, we, uh, you guys have seen the end of our charisma university sales and they've evolved over the years a little little podcast insider tip when we added testimonials we four times conversions which is sales so the same mm-hmm. thing hey this is what's in the program here's here what it does well, i also, think it's good when we added the quotes of people who have emailed me four times as many sales yeah we also and hired a business coach solely because tony robbins said he was good yeah yeah do <laughs> testimonials i think are the, and this is it word of mouth mm-hmm. from people you know is the most powerful sales force yes. and so build a business that creates that but um, and yeah, go read the, you guys have read Influence, I'm guessing. Yeah, of Shodini. course. Like the whole chapter on liking, like people want to listen to those who they feel are like them, which, mm-hmm. you know, your friends are like you. Yeah. So you listen to them. Uh, and then well, the last also, thing was. It, sometimes it is useful though. Like, so for instance, you, and yeah. we could probably delineate why you have great audio and great video quality in well, $5, your $5,000 camera lesson because you said, hey, you should well, hang do on. It. It's we didn't, two cameras for $5,000. We didn't do any research. We didn't, we didn't, <laughs> Literally not a t- we didn't Google and say, as we said, oh, Thomas says these are the best cameras and we bought them. And I actually don't think that's a bad, me- no, bad tool there. Yeah, like, so uh, what do they call that? Like the expert fallacy or the mm-hmm. expert bias, right? That's a useful heuristic. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go into my doctor and I'm like, are you sure that I should be taking ibuprofen here? Because I see these chemistry diagrams in here, and then there's this, like, number needed to treat statistic that I got from, like, no. At a certain point, I need to trust my doctor for certain things because I don't have, you know. So there's, like, always this dance between, like, being skeptical. Don't trust surgeons, though. (laughs) But not surgeons. Seriously, I do feel that way. You think so? Yeah, I've had multiple surgeons tell me I needed a surgery that when I got Mm. second and third opinions... There was conflict. I guess that's the real the real hack is get the second and third opinion. And, and, and you're they combining two things. The two things that you're combining in this case are uh, that surgeon, independent of the financial incentive, probably would have given you the right decision. But when you financially incentivize him to make a boatload of money by cutting you open. Correct. Thomas makes no yeah. money unless he secretly works for Sony yeah. from <laughs> recommending those I'm cameras. Secret sh- yeah. Sony shill. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, surgeons, from my experience, when they're the ones getting paid, surgery seems mm. like a pretty good option i mean there's that old saying right you know, when you have a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah so it's it's tough to actually work past that yeah, yeah. You know, i have that problem people are like should i use notion for this and i'm like always i really want to say yes but <laughs> what you described i don't know or people will be like should i invest the same platform you invested in i want to do absolutely no thinking like, okay well then no because yeah. like that and that's something like i i have certain influencer friends who are like if i don't use it personally i won't recommend it and i think that's stupid because there oh, really? are products out there that are tailored for people who are not like me. Oh, yeah. I, so for I example, try to follow that rule. I don't put my money into Wealthfront because mm-hmm. I am not willing to give the 0.25% management fee to them because I know I can go build my own portfolio. Yep. I do it on M1. I have a specific portfolio that I've constructed that I think is a little bit more aggressive than just throwing it all into SPY. Mm-hmm. And I like it. But I also know what a management fee is. Yeah. And I also like to read investing books. And I, I, when I hear friends say, I do not want to think about it, I understand the fact that if I say, okay, here's what a three-fund portfolio is, international diversification, a bond fund, and a you know putting most of your money in the stocks, that's like TV stack for them. Yeah, yeah. Right. And when you give people too much detail or too many choices, they will fail to make a decision sometimes. So if I hear, I want you to give me one word, just tell me where to go, yeah. it's Wealthfront. 
happily you will give up that 0.5% right. other than, because the alternative is not investing at all. We're not sponsored by Wealthfront though. So Justin, you just bleed every time that he says Wealthfront out of here. And then right? we'll contact no free, them. No free lunch, all right? It's like no, pulling I, Kawhi Leonard through the Gatorade away. I, I agree with you very much in that uh, in order to recommend something, the, the we have several things, but one of them is, do I use it or would I recommend this to someone in a, yes. per, in a particular position? Do you believe in it? Yeah, yeah. I believe in it, but I don't use it sure. because I have a different set of needs. Well, yes. I would do right? it. Uh, so we have, I mean, we have some questions for our sponsors and one of them is, do I or someone I know have a strong? Mm -hmm. So for instance, I make the Charisma on Command videos now, but if we had a sponsor who I'd never used, but if Charlie had used Hims and thought it was incredible, I would feel comfortable going up there and saying, you know, from what I've heard, Hims is great if you have hair loss problems. Yeah. I wouldn't say I take it because I don't, but that would be that would be good enough for me. Yeah. Like so I, so it's not that I personally have to, but I do want to know individuals. Yeah, you want to get that somebody you trust used it. I, I wouldn't just trust their their website saying mm -hmm. that they're good, being like, oh that's good enough for me. Like I'm I'm looking at a motorcycle right here. You guys can't see it. But so I ride a triumph. There is and like it was my beginner bike, but I'm six two. I have mountain bike my whole life. Like it's, I, I am not the average 17 year old kid who needs a small beginner bike. Like a 900 CC triumph was fine for me. That being said, triumph does not make a bike that I would consider to be a beginner friendly bicycle or motorcycle. Mm. So if someone's like, what should I buy? If I want to get into motorcycling, I'm never going to recommend the bike that I bought yeah. because I know that I'm the edge case. Mm -hmm. And if it's like someone who's never ridden before, they don't do downhill mountain biking. I'm like, you're going to go buy like a Ninja 350 or something really simple or Honda Rebel. I've never owned either of those bikes, but I know people like five foot two girls who yeah. ride those. I know them well enough to know that's the thing to recommend. You recommended me a Sony that you don't have. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because I shoot Canon. And mm -hmm. the thing is like, if you want to do a long podcast like this or a long, whatever you're doing over there. On a tighter um, budget. I don't yeah. know if it's like a secret project, but. It's D&D. No, no, no. Okay. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> okay, if you want to do a long D&D thing, Canon does not make a camera that doesn't have that stupid 29 minute recording limit until you get to the $6,000 C70. They just don't. So if you don't want to pay $6,000, and I'll happily recommend you $6,000 cameras. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want to pay 6000 guy, <laughs> uh, you got to go Sony. You know. So let's do the third. What was the third business thing? The third one is when you took the deal of, I'll, let, I'll do this for free, but I get the upside for four months. You are giving him the incentive and basically carte blanche to abuse your audience because all he cares about or at least you should assume all he cares about is getting the sale. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how he does it. It doesn't matter if he damages your reputation doing yeah. it. It doesn't matter if he turns away a bunch. Like if he could bring a ton of people in, but most of them hate it, they're going to come away hating you guys. Yeah. If I'm like, hey guys, give me 500 bucks and I'll turn it into a thousand and I get to keep a hundred dollars. Like, I don't know. I could go to the mob and like get you guys yeah, in yeah. debt or something. I don't know. So like if I'm going to bring somebody in and they get upside in, in terms of sales percentage, I want them to be part of the team and I want them to be part of the mission. I am increasingly moving towards that. So in the past, I wanted the thinnest organization and contractors well, the, if we ever needed them. The mm -hmm. pitch was though that there would be ongoing, like this was, yeah. this was project two of eight on a document that he and I went through. But let me put it this way. We were both fine not interacting very closely with him. And now in the future, it's like, I'm, I'm more of the mindset like, look, if you're gonna come work with us in any sort of meaningful capacity, we got to sit down and talk. Yeah, I am increasingly like, yeah. finding that this there's the, and I'm sure it works for some things, but the dream of delegating and outsourcing that I think gets pitched a lot in the startup world or at least in the four-hour workweek world 
has not played out for us. Like our editor got so much better when there was a manager working with mm-hmm. him. And, and when we, we were, it was a pass down the lane. We were working super closely with Ivan, who was working super closely yes. with Andre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and, and now they're great. Now they don't need us yeah. involved at all, but there's training. And, and I think the same thing we thought that hiring a writer, you just find a writer. Now I'm of the opinion that anyone who writes for Chris Mon Command is going to have been trained for a you know, year plus before mm-hmm. they can really do it. Um, yeah, I think I, I had that dream from the four-hour work week. It's like, oh, yeah, you just eliminate, automate, delegate, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stuff. You I mean, you, you got to train, really, so, if you yep. want good work. Is my, is my experience. I'm sure I, other I people disagree. I have a disagree, question for our work week. So I was reflecting on this as I read this copy, and I, it made me think of the four-hour work week because the four-hour work week, one of my favorite books, undersells how difficult it is. It's not actually yeah. a four-hour work week. It takes a oh, lot yeah, of time to get there, and he paints this super compelling dream that just made me jump out of my seat and start yeah yep and i'm thankful for that yeah no i agree i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't market i wouldn't market that way but i'm glad he did yeah because it but i don't but that's not good enough for me to justify doing so, it so this was I my think question he would be more pissed at tim ferris if he was selling some guru course but he never did i guess here's the thing it was a nine dollar book yeah. And so for him to make the dreams, the, the like all the work that came after that sound easy. Oh, here's, here's the difference. Uh, there's no sales page for the four hour work week. The four hour work mm-hmm. week is a sales page to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a sales it's page like, to, co- um, to pay other people to help you and do other things. It's not yeah. like, it's not, he's not selling the four hour work week to sell you his, how to build a business course. Yeah. He enriches yes. himself by selling the book, but he doesn't enrich himself by getting you to become an entrepreneur. Exactly. It's not gotten. So I think for that reason, yeah. it's it works and is clean. Well, I think, but I do th- actually think, while that is true, I do think it's, it is still the case that that book does, I think, undersell how hard it is. Yeah, to, by a fat margin. And so well, the question okay. is like, when is that acceptable if ever? Let's ask a question here. How many people have read that book, got into their head that it should be easy, and are out there taking shortcuts? I, or it's hard and they quit. Or it's hard or and they quit. I think that's yeah. the most like actually it's shortcut. Do we you can't need really a shortcut? Do we need the, a? Pro- well, I mean, there's a lot of people who are out there like, oh, it should be easy, so I'm going to scam people because mm-hmm. that's easier. Sure. So that I, my my impression from talking to people in our audience is that the the most common thing seems to be like I started and it was hard. Yeah. So I just don't do it anymore. I've met people who did that, and I've met people who are like, oh, this is supposed to be easy. So they seek out the other people who are saying and reinforcing this should be easy, and then they get. They go down these paths where it's like, here's how it's easy. You do these things. Yeah, yeah. You become a coach. The coaches coaches on how to coach. So (laughs) I guess like here's, I think about it this way. I have now done this. Would I write a book saying it's really easy? I don't think so. I agree. That's what I'm saying. I couldn't write the four hour. I'm personally as Ben Altman glad that that book was written in that way. Because I don't think I necessarily would have. He described what it was going to require. It would have been less exciting yeah i mean he still could have gotten me hey listen you're gonna work a lot you're not gonna make a lot of money for the first couple of years mm-hmm. but you will get to live in brazil on the beach like i still would have signed up for it i think but yeah uh i do think it's it's just written in the most compelling way possible it's mm-hmm. going to be easy and effortless and yeah and i'm glad i appreciate that as ben altman but i don't think that uh charisma on command should adopt that mindset. Uh, to, to, to defend him he doesn't say easy and effortless i don't think at any point what he does is just 
kind of skip over. Like he's like, you put up a Google ad <laughs> and you sell this yeah, product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like this product sells and now you're making ten dollars. Like your first product doesn't work. Sorry. Yeah. Ever. No, no. Google ads I, I don't, don't go work. Bad on Tim at all. I think it's great. But no, I'm <laughs> sure he says, the, yeah, and then you write you write a sales page that converts. Yeah. And then yeah. you get sales. Yes. It's like, well that's a four month process. <laughs> yeah. It was like French striped shirts. shirts. French striped shirts. You just drop ship them. Yeah. And then you you do like the, I don't know, 10 minutes of preliminary research about dropshipping and you realize, oh, he, hey, the margins on this are zero. Yeah. He does and actually <laughs> say that he's never worked a four-hour work week. Mm -hmm. You know, he is mm -hmm. quick to say, I think that the title's yeah. a bit of hyperbole and he he always has worked more than that. There's a tremendous, I guess what is what I'm struggling with is personally, and I and you raised the question of, am I the outlier? Is the world worse off for having had him talk um, not as directly to the, trials and tribulations that are mm -hmm. very, very common well, in entrepreneurship. We do talk about the different gurus. I won't go bad on anyone, but there's a lot of people who teach that type of stuff. And when you meet successful entrepreneurs, they never say, oh, well, if not for blank, I would never have been successful. Mm -hmm. I can think of a couple of people where I've literally heard it once in my life from all the people I've met. Tim Ferriss has actually inspired a solid amount of people I know who are successful. So he does have that anecdotal thing going for him in my mind, which is that when I meet people who are yeah. doing well, they're often like, oh yeah, Tim Ferriss inspired me. And they're, and they're doing it. Whereas the people who mm -hmm. have failed or are scamming people, they tend to point to other gurus. Yeah, and I think, you know, to Tim's credit, he didn't say the way you get successful is this method I have over here, pay me. Mm -hmm. He just, you know, he, he, he basically laid out like, this is the framework. Yeah. But... I do think he glossed over just how difficult it is. Hey, maybe it was easier in 2007 when he wrote it. Yeah. You know <laughs> maybe maybe dropshipping was, was well, actually much easier 14 okay, years ago. I actually drop think the Google ad thing worked. I think the Google and ad thing used to work. Yeah. Yeah. There <laughs> were things that worked. Like, I remember 2013, if you want to start a podcast, guaranteed you were on <laughs> iTunes New and Noteworthy yeah. for eight weeks. Wow. Eight weeks on at least the New and Noteworthy for your subcategory. Yeah. Now, nope. No, I want to <laughs> give him credit for that too. Nope. Before Amazon FBA and all that stuff, if you were bringing in something from China through dropshipping, it might have been mm -hmm. easy and profitable. You know, this is 14 years ago that he wrote it. So maybe things yeah. got harder. So there's always like pockets of opportunity that are open for a while. And then you publicize this kind of stuff and the competition increases and then it closes. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are other things that exist today, like TikTok and YouTube algorithms didn't really exist back then. Yeah. So Okay, now growing on TikTok is overnight. ridiculous. Growing on TikTok so, is, I mean, especially six months or a year ago, was so much easier. Mm -hmm. Is PTYI still going to be open? Is no, it closed. Oh, okay, closed. never mind. You can finish it. We, we were, well, I was going to say, we were working, we were uh, promoting Ali Abdal's course on how to make a YouTube channel. So if people actually were interested in that, we'll promote it again in three months. Join when it the opens. wait list. <laughs> isn't there like a self-paced one you could always get? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I was looking at the sales page a while ago, studying it. <laughs> I think it's the best, like that's the best education you're ever going to get is Studying hyper analyze people. what people are doing yeah not what they tell you to do that's what we base our business on. like i guess there's there's two of it right because like i can hyper analyze what a olympic figure skater does and there is stuff that they're just doing it too fast i need to go to a coach and have her tell me bring your freaking knee in <laughs> otherwise you can't spin and like i wouldn't be able to see that on tv but there is a lot of you need to actually observe what the pros are doing people actually do it and slow it for surfing people just slow it down People will get Telly yeah. Slater popping up and you'll be like, okay, we're going to watch this at 0.2 speed yep. mm -hmm. and I'm going to show you exactly what he does that you don't do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, and it is, it is helpful. I mean, at that's least helpful. in my experience, that's been helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's good with, with physical things. A lot of times you want a coach looking at what you are doing specifically, because at least in my case, like with figure skating, with singing, there'll be things I'm doing. I can't even tell that I'm doing them mm -hmm. until a coach is like, singing here, I took a video. One. Yeah. You're doing this. 
bring the leg in or you're really nasally and you, you don't sound the same to yourself yeah, yeah. in your head that you as you do in real life. So you can't really tell like, oh, I should be bringing the voice back down into the throat and making it more full like, until you have somebody tell you. Do yeah, you yeah. like the way you sound on camera when you shoot your videos? The way I sound on camera? Yeah, because vo- you said your voice sounds different in your head versus... Oh, I think I sound fine yeah. on camera. Yeah, yeah, I've never been embarrassed with my voice on camera. I've been embarrassed with my singing voice. <laughs> <laughs> Three years of vocal lessons will help that a lot. Uh, yeah, it, so I did singing lessons for a long time. This Man, singing is crazy. It's I, don't, I can't think of anything else in the world that a five-year-old can do much better than most 40-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And did they just come out perfect, like just, just brilliant singers. <laughs> Nor can I think of anything that I've worked as hard at at singing and made as little progress. <laughs> and I've and yeah. by, I've actually th- I've had uh, very good coaches, and I know that they're like, wait, shouldn't you be better? Uh, they work with famous people, and they help them, and they do better. Yeah. Uh, but ah, man, I've made limited improvements with singing. My experience with singing, like I've gotten to the point where I'm okay with my voice, and I do have one song I produced that sounds pretty good. Um, it's almost like there's a threshold. Mm-hmm. Like say you're starting to lift and you're squatting and right now you squat 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. 300 pounds is the point at which you will think, I sound okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's far to, away. So it's years <laughs> it's of just, far away. you need to put 150 pounds on your squat just to be like, cool, I sound okay. And I feel like I finally, just in the last maybe six months, got to that point and now I'm to the point where it's like, I have the base and now I can sculpt it. To sound just a little bit better in the dimensions that I'm interested in. Can you summarize or briefly, because what I think the biggest thing that has helped or could help, I haven't worked as hard at it, is actually ear training. To me, Mm. it's it's the the feedback loop not being perfect is, I think, what has gotten in my way the most. So I'll like sing a song and the best people that I've had, they've let me sing and get away with it. But like, just so you know, like you're not you're not hitting some of these notes. You're like hitting the high note and you're hitting the one in between. But all these like little words in between, you're just kind of fudging <laughs> on your way to yeah. to somewhere else. So you're saying your coach does tell you that or doesn't? They, I think, strike a good balance of like not ma- being militant about it and letting me sing a little. <laughs> and also, stop stop, 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 stop. Yeah, not that. Yeah. But, but pointing out like this, you know, this will come, but... Uh, I thought I was like, oh, this is the big note that I have to get. And I was like, I'm hitting that. Fine. It's just all the ones in between and that seem unimportant. And you rush to it and then <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It, all, yeah, it all sounds terrible. Yeah. I've done a few things that help. So working with my coach, he'll let me sing a whole section yeah. and then we'll critique it. We've done another thing where I almost, I asked him like, hey, can you basically become a reaction YouTuber for mm-hmm. me? So I <laughs> sent him a recording and I'm like, use Loom listen to this on your computer and then pause yeah. and just tell me what you think at each point. Yeah. So he just sends me back like a, a loom video of him critiquing and reacting to my singing. That's cool. really nice. And then one thing I do is I have a little VST called Nectar that Isotope makes and it comes with a pitch corrector. Mm. It's basically just a suite of vocal enhancement tools. So I will sing and then I'll throw Nectar on and I'll figure out the key of the song. You can Google it almost yeah, every yeah. time. And I'll just throw on the correction and be like, how different does it sound? <laughs> That's smart. Because that what that eliminates mostly is, how, am I pitchy? Yes. And if you're like, hey, it sounds good when I'm not pitchy. It's like, cool, mm-hmm. we know what I have to work on. Or it's like, uh, no, I nailed it. And it still sounds awkward. It's like, no, then it's my tone. Like yep. something, something awkward there. That's smart. I also have a, a kind of unfair advantage. My fiance has like annoyingly good pitch detection. Yeah. To, I don't have it. Like I can be a little bit off key. And I hate I, people I, like, that I'm have fine. that. <laughs> so I'll be singing in the shower or something. And then she's like, dear, you sound pretty good, but you're a little 
<laughs> and that just tells me, okay, I just need to just reach a little bit. It's wild that that little kids come with that in a way that I couldn't hit if I practiced for ten years. Mm. It, I like I said, I can't think of anything else that is so inborn or possibly inborn, but not guaranteed. I inborn. don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's as inborn as people think, though. Like I do think there is a lot of natural talent variation between singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, between people for singing, but I also think that there's a lot more you can do with your voice than most people think. Mm. And it's just, it's a super long-term thing. So think about how many years you've spent talking into a microphone, trying to sound good just for your videos. Because I did that as well. Like I started podcasting in 2013. So it was like 2013 to 2017, four straight years of, you know, trying to sound good into a microphone for podcasts and videos. That was actually a foundation Mm. that made it easier for me to start singing. Interesting. So I don't think of myself as being, you know, a singer for three, four years. I think of myself as having been sculpting my voice for eight, ten years. Well, in that case, I'm even worse than I thought because <laughs> I spent a lot more time. <laughs> by the way, we mentioned four-hour work week, but give a shout out here to Marketing Step by Step. We've worked with them in the past. They're a podcast sponsor, at least in the sense that we have a deal with them where if you purchase their program, which normally costs a thousand dollars, you go through our link. It's Eben Pagan Training dot com slash charisma it'll be in the description if you're here on youtube it costs 97 bucks and half of that goes to justin (laughs) um it's awesome it is the it's the course that gave us the name charisma on command it's the course that identified our customer avatar and it's one of the things that we were talking about with this this whole debacle that happened this week was that the best programs that we've ever gone through all focus on customer first yep and like this was our first exposure to that and it's really really good it's got exercise and we also modeled the daily breakdown when we did cruising university so it's a very good course. yeah i would say tim ferris gave us the dream mm-hmm. but eben and marketing step-by-step gave us a blueprint to, to be successful mm-hmm. and we were so much less successful until we found that course and that yeah. course really really helped transform yeah. our business so if you're at the point where you know you want to start a business or you have started a business and it's just not working or you don't know how to grow it Marketing step-by-step can be an incredibly yeah. powerful course. I would say it's it's very good beginner to beginner intermediate course, or if you just like miss the marketing, uh, the actual good guts of marketing stuff. That's It's it's very, very good. So check it out, evanpagantraining.com slash charisma. Thanks for sponsoring. Uh, well, there's one thing that Thomas and I were talking about off-air that we were like, oh, we could talk about it off-air or, or on-air. So it's kind of up to you. Go for it. But we were just brainstorming um, titles based on that format that we saw that absolutely crushed oh, yeah. for a site to go. Mm. So they, they just had an interesting format. I'll, I'll, a little little PTYA. Uh, I'll, I'll just say what we're talking about. So uh, this actually, so Ali does a great job uh, on, it's his course, PTYA, Part-Time YouTuber Academy. I have, for this cohort, decided to join with him. And as my part is I'm going to be doing uh, a workshop on making videos that go viral, a workshop on monetization, but charisma on camera. And then for the people that joined through our thing, we'll have our own little private, little private shindig, little get together, and we'll talk about uh, specifics of their channels. But my big thing when I talk to YouTubers that I don't f- hear people talk about is uh, after you found, let's say that you know your niche and you're like, I like this, there's an audience for it, I feel like I can get in. People don't consider format. Um, that's the one thing. Format is like, is this an interview? Is it a talking head? Talking head doesn't do very well. Every format has a multiplier. Talking head has the lowest multiplier. Breakdowns have a much better multiplier. But you actually were saying title mm-hmm. format. Then if you look at titles, there's a structure to what works on YouTube. So one basic format is like how I da 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 in 30 days. Matt Devella does I 
did X for 30 days. Yep. Like, and it, where X is something that the audience is curious about. Cold shower, meditate, Cold shower, yes. stop drinking, intermittent yes. fasting. And just so, things that they've, they're like, oh, I want to do this thing, but I haven't tried it yet. And, and this guy's going to tell me what. And what's there up. are title structures that have multipliers. <laughs> they're like, we've, we've started using and abusing how to turn X into Y, where... X is the thing that you don't want socially, and Y is the thing that you do want socially. Well, so this, you can is, see. this is that to the next level. So then, Ben, this is a new format we've not done, which we saw on another channel, and yeah. they've, they've been using and abusing. <laughs> so there's, you know, how to be more confident. Yeah. And then there's how to turn anxiety into confidence, how mm -hmm. to turn a thing you, you have and you don't like into yeah. a thing you want. This one was psyched to go, six signs you're burnt out, not lazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's six signs that you think you have this thing but actually, it's this other thing that's not as bad. nearly as bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, oh, you, or no, sorry, it's six signs you're this thing that's not bad, not the thing that's bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, you don't want to be lazy. Like, that's not a thing mm -hmm. that you want to identify with. But being burned out because you have been working hard in the past, that's much more desirable of a state. And it's also yeah. more temporary. If you're burned out, you can be unburned out. But if you're lazy, you're just damned to be and lazy. It reflects poorly. And on so you. my question was like, how do we? Charisma on command. This, I think Thomas's should just do six signs. You're burned out, not lazy. <laughs> just the same. Title. You're the productivity guy. Yeah, just take the titles. There's so many you people have taken our title. titles, and we've taken. Well, other don't. And titles. this is what I do. By the way, in terms of titles and, th and and that kind of stuff, what I do if if I see a title, I'm like, I want that title. I don't watch the video. I very purposely mm. don't watch the video. I write my script, and then I watch the video to make sure that it's not too close. I actually did when I did the. Um, police interrogation video, I wrote the whole video and then I watched CoffeeZilla's yeah. video and it was too similar. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so I had oh, to go no. back and I was like, mm -hmm. I can't publish this because they're both on the same topic, basically different mm -hmm. titles, I think. But so I went and added some points and removed some points to it's you can only do so much because both are based on the same actual Bridge, method published yeah. in books that cops learn. Yeah. But I, tr I was like, I got to mix this up. And so I changed some clips. I like had to not Copy. But what do we got? So five signs. I like six signs. You're burnt out, not lazy. So I, I was like, like, how do I do this? Introverted for is the first one. Six signs. You're introverted, not shy. Six signs. You're introverted, not a social pariah. But yeah, a better yeah. way of saying. <laughs> I was thinking like not a loser. Like six signs. You're introverted, not a loser. I think six introverted, signs, not shy. Might do not well. awkward. Introverted, not awkward. awkward. Introverted, not yeah. awkward is interesting. Yeah, because I, I don't know the... that people actually shy. I think is something people are more comfortable being. So it's like mm -hmm. I'm shy, and maybe I wish Added I weren't. Conversation but. or something? I don't know. So not boring would be an interesting one. You know what Ooh. I mean? Ooh, that's a good there one. Go. Six, Six times introverted, introverted, not, not boring. boring. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Keep an eye out. Smash success. Yeah. I've, and you mentioned earlier, like the classic copywriting trick of mm -hmm. it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. That's a clear case of that. Oh yeah, yeah. It's totally. not your fault. You're not lazy. It's not your fault. You're just burned out. Yes, it's not your fault. You know? This uh, burned out happens to you. Lazy is something you choose and are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it, and to be fair, like the other thought with this that that is worth you know, audience, you're out if you're interested in YouTube. If not, this might not be as interesting. But you do have to ask yourself: Are these the views that I want? I don't think that that title is particularly horrible. But mm -hmm. if you consistently tell people it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, you might get more views, make more sales, but you will wind up with people that probably think that things in their life that could reasonably be attributed to them and are their responsibility is somehow. Uh, the world's foisted it upon them. Yep. Uh, so I do think that, and I wrote a rant on this way back in the day, that is not your fault while a very effective copywriting technique is not something I like to throw around yeah. 
too much. I love uh, that article. So here's yeah. something that I would do. So should we link to it? Because like the description, we might be able to find it. I mean, I was on a rant, and I was a younger, more aggressive, uh, sweary guy back in the day. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, it's your fault. It's all your fault. And what I meant is, it's all your responsibility. Like mm-hmm. this, this shirking of responsibility. The world did it to me. It's an old copywriter trick, and I and I don't like, I don't like it. I, yeah. I exit it from the from the. the I never the want to perpetuate a victim mentality. Yeah. Even if shit happened to you, mm-hmm. that sucks. Nothing's going to change if you just keep, you know, using that as a crutch. Yeah. Like, okay, acknowledge it. Yeah, things happen to you, you know, and we're all in an unequal world. But if you want things to change, you're going to have to shed that mentality and be like, cool, why? The only person who's going to dig me out is me. Mm -hmm. So if I were ever to use a title like that, uh, six signs you're overwhelmed, not lazy. Yeah. My video's thesis would be, you chose to take on these, yeah, yeah. all these things. You chose to say yes, 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 yes. So what you need to learn is have the courage and the self-discipline to say no, to be able to let things go, and to understand what your limitations are. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, you're just overwhelmed, sorry. Yeah, but that's a great lesson. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. fantastic lesson, yeah. yeah. And this is, you know, this is the classic marketer, uh, moral, but I think effective and, and perhaps correct conundrum of selling what is desired, delivering what is needed, you know, like... I, but that's not a I, lie. Sorry. Six signs you're overwhelmed, it's not lazy. And yeah. then telling them, here are the yes. signs you're overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. at the end saying, by the way, the solution to being overwhelmed, yeah. this is on you. That's that's not that's great. Yeah, I that's think not the, the video title is fine. It's just you never want the payoff to be still, yep, it's not your fault. Yeah, you're a yeah. victim. Feel feel good about the fact that it's not your fault. Like I would never want that to be the conclusion. I've, well, the good news is that nothing I say will convince a certain percentage of the population that it's not their height or genetics. So, I think, so let me, <laughs> so that's there's true. literally some part of the audience that at every video is just commenting. Well, yeah, but so we're, we're I had that face <laughs> and the exact same personality. Yeah, I would also be a movie star. Well, I think we're talking about a very particular person who does not benefit and needs to shed victim mentality. Recently, I actually think there's pathological um, responsibility taking in in like life in the world, and this has come from MDMA and, and those sorts of things. Like I think of the scene with Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting, where it's like, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's important moments to tell people and to feel that you didn't cause this. This Mm -hmm. is not your fault in a meaningful way. And I actually think the desire to not feel like a victim can can become pathological because Mm -hmm. there are times when it's like appropriate to feel victimized. And that can help you heal, move on, mm -hmm. see the world as it truly is, get out of abusive relations, like all those sorts of things. I think what Thomas was saying, correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas, isn't, it's not that it's not your fault in the sense that, like, listen, we're determinists to a large degree. Like where you're at in life is because (laughs) of your external circumstances and your genetic material. But the, it's not that it's not, it's more, it's in your hands now. Responsibility versus fault. So you, you were abused by your father, Goodwill Hunting style. It's not your fault. You didn't earn that. Mm-hmm. He was an alcoholic. He had issues from his own trauma. You did not do anything to deserve that as a child. Mm-hmm. Right, right now, you're 28 years old. You have to be the one to change your life or else you are going to, and then whatever it is, be someone who doesn't isn't successful, yes. or become an alcoholic, mm-hmm. abuse your own kids. The, the onus is on you even though all that horrible shit that set you back in life that made it so that you didn't have pocket aces, you had a three eight off suit, that stuff wasn't your fault. Yep. You had no control over it. You're not bad because of it. But now you are yep. where you are today. And if you want that to change, take the you. reins. It may not I be think, your fault. Yes. It is your responsibility. Yes. When I was a I think kid, that's the like sixth grade year of school was the worst. I was bullied horribly. Like 
gangs of kids in the hallway just messing with me. And I was awkward. Gangs of kids? Like, like you know, 10, 12 kids shoved me into a locker. No like, freaking yeah. way. Teachers doing nothing. Nothing. Where? What? And this is like suburban Iowa. Like, not... Oh my god. Why do you think Thomas lifts weights so hard? <laughs> there I mean there was definitely like my dad was like the ultimate man's man. He's like, my kids are gonna be strong and know how to box and wrestle and everything. So like I was forced to do every kind of fighting thing you could think of. But I was like a little bit awkward, yeah. a little bit hyperactive. Um, but obviously did not deserve to be physically bullied, yeah, yeah. emotionally bullied by many people. Like I was abused wow. by those kids. My parents told me the teachers are doing nothing, and even though the teachers do something. Those kids are never going to respect you because teachers mm-hmm. did something. You have to do something. So the next time that guy picks on you and challenges you to a fight, you need to accept and do something about it. Wow. Now, I don't know if that's always the, the right answer for every person because somebody could be seriously hurt. But the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is just just saying, yes, I'm abused, and then continuing to take it would have not done sure. anything for me. Sure. There's also, I mean, and this is this is why it's always so hard to answer questions when people ask them for for uh, the, from the audience. It's like, there's also neighborhoods where standing up for yourself like that might get you killed. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah, it worked out for me in that point, but it could have also not. But I guess the, you know, and, and this is a particularly uh, risky situation because we're talking about like using violence to solve your problems. Mm-hmm. But the, I guess the crux of it is I acknowledge that I have done nothing that is deserving of this bad situation. The world is bad to me right now. Mm-hmm. But if I want to get out out of it, I have to do something. Sure. Well, this is just so. also to be clear, this is super generational because we're all sitting here in our 30s and we all have that mindset. But that's not how younger people feel at all. Younger people think that the mom government is should step come in. in. Well, mom did come in, apparently, they, they say, with the helicopter generation. I wasn't really well, there. Well, I'm saying forgetting even, like mm. for that story, there a lot of people would say, nope that the society should be protecting you. Security guards should be there. Teachers should be yeah. reprimanding them in such a way that you don't have to even be in that situation, the government should give you minimum wage and sure. health care and uh, but they, you should... They uh, weren't going to do that. No, no, but I'm so, saying... They're saying... There's, yes. So there's two, there's two at-odds arguments. Yeah. And I think both have valid points. One is the system mm-hmm. is broken, if that's the case. And instead of telling every kid... Learn to karate. Learn, yeah. Punch your bullies. Yeah. We need a better system that... Protects kids Make sure from that bullies, no one or, in yeah. schools... Yep has any threat of physical violence and no matter what the neighborhood is no matter what the income level is we need a system of safety i think you know public both, schools both points are valid that's what i'm saying like there's, we would all love a star trek civilization where there's <laughs> you know it's post-scarcity everything's fine yeah but we don't have that so we need to strive for systemic changes but in the same time we have to acknowledge that right now those changes cannot be enacted fast enough so there are things that we have to do personally. And maybe the right answer in that situation was, oh, I'm being viciously bullied and the teachers will do nothing, so I need to remove myself from the situation. Mm-hmm. Like in well, a perfect world, I would have just gone to a different school or something. Your but, mindset here is going to dictate how you think things should be handled because let's mm-hmm. say that you are, let's say you have a job you don't like and you feel underpaid. You're going to quit and start your own business or start your own side hustle and work 100 hours a week if you have the, the onus of responsibility yes. falls on me. You're going to unionize or maybe picket outside of government officials or whatever if you think that the answer is new legislation right yeah. you're it's going in either case you can be active but how you believe the solution comes about is going to determine the what action yeah so yeah we are all of the mindset of quit and start your own business <laughs> do your own thing take mm-hmm. your own responsibility obviously but that's actually i think going out of style i think the mm-hmm. new, the more popular mindset today is 
no, there should be the systemic change where no one has to dislike their job and no one has to, uh, there is no job on the planet that pays less than 80 grand a year. And we, we do this all from the governmental level. I think that's much more common in, in I'm unsure if it's people. more common or if it's just that negativity bias plus social media, the way it is, makes it easy for anybody who has any point of view to see the opposing point of view they hate and think, oh, okay, this is how people think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I saw Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders and AOC talk about this stuff. None of them won presidency yet, but I think there is a, there's increasingly, it seems, uh, support for politicians that that are in that camp. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would, that's just what makes me think that that movement is swelling. Yeah. I guess the, we, uh, as far as I remember, the, that wasn't, you didn't have representatives like that in politics as much who were mm-hmm. arguing for that kind of uh, legislation. But yeah. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm only 34. Maybe this was happening in the 80s. Yeah, I'm not sure. Who knows? Anything else? Nope. Let's do it, dude. Thank you for coming. Did you want to talk about anything before we sign off? No, I'm good. Go to Thomas's channel if you want to learn about Notion. We didn't even mention really the word Notion. That's like your baby. <laughs> I know. I asked Tom. I, no, I said before we go on, do you want, is there anything you want to talk about? And he's like, not really. Thomas is super into productivity organization. And as a, his like primary tool, he's been all over the place, has landed on Notion. Mm-hmm. He's shown me this kind of stuff. And for me, this is so far afield of anything that I ever do. <laughs> well, let's say this. Let's say who's... But, who is it? Start for? start for the yeah. channel. Forget that. I think the Notion product is something people can find through the channel. But your YouTube channel. Yeah. Well, what, my YouTube channel. What age? What what path interest, in life? Yeah. Like, yeah. Who who's that for? I am I am trying to connect with people who are maybe a few years younger than I am. So mid twenties. Yep. Earlier on in my channel's history, it was very much like here's how to be good at school, and now it's like here's how to be good at adult life. Mm-hmm. And, and what channel. does that mean? I'm I'm trying to be more productive, so more, more productive, be wealthy. more organized, uh, you know, optimize your sleep and health habits, and then I'm working on uh, like investing content. I'm buying a house right now, so I'm documenting the things I do there, the decisions I make, the math behind decisions I make. Okay, so if so, you're if you're a, yep. a 20 year old optimizer, that's who you would say your channel. Yeah, for. there you go. Yeah, okay. if you're, so if if you're, you're a 20-year-old optimizer, optimize your life. there you go. Go find Thomas's YouTube channel. What's it called these days? Uh, it's just Thomas Frank. Okay. And then if people want to learn about Notion, Thomas Frank Explains is the second channel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.